Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning as it is every week. My name is Nathan. I am the interim Bible teacher here at Journey in this season of our church. And so I just want to welcome you if you haven't been welcomed yet and tell you that uh, it is a joy to be with you. We're going to find ourselves today wrapping up a four-week series that we've been in called Pathways. Um, and just if you haven't been here, just a real quick recap of what I mean and what we mean when we say Pathways is we are looking at uh, four pathways, four paths that we believe journey which should be walking down that will shape us as disciples of Jesus. Four pillars is what Kevin called them back whenever he preached in April that he wanted to shape us. And, and we call them pathways in the series because it's kind of this idea that this is not like a one-off uh, thing but for us, but rather it is something that we journey down throughout our lives that we're shaped by, that we're transformed by. And so the first week we talked about the pathway of the word. We want to be a people of God's word, centered on his word, it is our authority. And so to do that, we got to walk the pathway of the word, let it transform us and change us into the image of Jesus. And then the second week, we talked about the pathway of prayer. And, and basically what we said about that was that prayer can be difficult. Uh, prayer a lot of times can be discouraging because we don't hear God answer our prayers. We don't see him answer our prayers. And so we talked about what do we do if we want to be a people of prayer to travel the pathway of prayer, what do we do when he doesn't answer our prayers? And so we talked about that. And then week three, we talked about last week, the pathway of mission, uh, because we want to be a people on mission. So we kind of place the call of God to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in the overarching story of the Bible. And so if you weren't here for any of those weeks, please feel free to jump back to our Facebook page to check those out because we do believe they should shape us as a people of God here in this localized setting of Journey Church. And so today we're, we're finishing our series on pathways, calling it the pathway of loving our city, the pathway of loving our city. And I do love our city. I love Jonesboro. I moved here in 1998 uh, to go to school, yeah, last century, um, to go to school here at Arkansas State. And uh, I loved it. I mean, th there was a point where I wanted to leave Jonesboro, but then I left for two years and I came back. Um, I do love a lot of things about Jonesboro. I love Arkansas State. It's what brought me here. Uh, my wife and I are both graduates of Arkansas State University. Um, I love the athletics. I love it just as that we have a place of higher education in our city that opens up a lot of jobs. It brings a lot of education, higher learning to our city. It brings a lot of diversity in that, which I love about that. Um, we've got a lot of great degrees that we offer here. So I love Arkansas State. We were Indians then, now we're Red Wolves. I love them both. Uh, we have great school systems here, great school systems, not just the higher education, but even in the lower education, we have great school systems here. A lot of you in this room work in those different school systems, and that is a great thing. I've lived in other places. Not every town has the quality of education that we have, and it is a blessing from God. On top of that, we have what I would call somewhat of an insulated economy. I mean, the things that hit the larger cities in our country seem to trickle down to us a lot slower, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, but that's one of the great things we live in here. We have the foundation of the arts, right? So if you're more of a creative type, if you love to act or sing, you can go to plays and musicals and be part of that. You can be part of set design here. You don't have to leave Jonesboro 
to do that. Um, and then restaurants and shopping. I mean, how many of you are old enough to remember when you had to leave Jonesboro to go shopping or to eat somewhere good, right? Now, if you, if you owned a restaurant back then, I'm not trying to knock you, but I mean, it was basically like just chains and it wasn't like Olive Garden and Outback back then. It was kind of like just fast food chains. And so we would go to Memphis to eat. We'd go to Wolf, or to, yeah, Wolf Chase to, to shop and you don't even have to do that anymore. It's just, it's grown so much. I do love Jones. We have quality healthcare. I mean, I could go on and on about Jonesboro because I love living here. And we are a destination for Northeast Arkansas. We are the hub, so to speak. We are a city. We may not be Dallas or Chicago or New York. We might not even be St. Louis or Kansas City or Nashville. And even in Arkansas, we may not be Little Rock or Northwest Arkansas, but we are the cultural hub of our area. People come to our city. We are the most densely populated area, uh, city in the area. And that brings challenges. It brings challenges because cities are both wonderful and heartbreaking all at the same time. They show some of the best of humanity, creativity, ingenuity, joy, prosperity. But cities also bring some of the worst, typically higher crime, more poverty, abuse of all kinds, and you can find those anywhere, but they seem to be more dense in a city. Why is that? Well, Tim Keller in his book, Center Church, says it like this, cities have more of the image of God per square inch than any other place on earth. Now, he's in Manhattan, so you can imagine the truth of that there. But even in Jonesboro, especially compared to places around us, if every person is made in the image of God, then a city is more densely populated with the image of God. And the thing about the fall that we talked about last week is that while we are made in the image of God, that means you're gonna see more beauty and creativity in the way that we just function, even as non-believers in God, and yet you're gonna see the brokenness extrapolated out more in a city. And so because of this, there's kind of this dual experience of a city, the beauty and the heartbreaking, there's the church often, I think, finds itself in kind of a, a struggle. We find ourselves on walking this pathway of knowing we're supposed to love our neighbor, knowing we're supposed to love our city. We find ourselves on this pathway tending to want to kind of slip off each side in one of two ditches, I think. And the first ditch, I think, is we tend to find ourselves wanting to withdraw and condemn. We think things like, the city's dangerous, it's dark. It's sinful. I think when I was thinking about this, I, I think, I don't know how old, if y'all are old enough or even have care to watch the old Batman, not the, not the OG Batman, the, the gray and blue Batman, but the Michael Keaton Batman. Uh, 1989, I think is when it was. I tried to watch it, or I watched the preview the other day with my, with my son just to show how far special effects have come. Um, and so, but you look, when, when Bruce Wayne is a, is a kid and his parents are, are murdered in the streets and it's like dark and there's like smoke everywhere, like that's what a lot of people look at when they think about the city. They think like it's dangerous, we gotta get away. It, it is not safe. And so we might think like it's broken beyond repair. Like instead of it ain't broke, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, we think something like more like it's so broke, don't bother. That's how a lot of people may look at the city, or we take this idea from scripture that we don't want to be stained by the world. And so we, we push ourselves away from the world. We, we create these like holy huddles. And yet when Jesus is about to go to the cross in John 17, and he's praying for the disciples and for the church, 
Here's what he says. My prayer, Father, is not that you take them out of the world. It's not that you take them out of the world. It's that you protect them from the evil one. You see, not only that, he, he tells us to love our neighbor. Not only that, he calls us to reach the nations. So we're clearly not to fall into the ditch of being withdrawn or simply looking at the city and condemning it for being dark and sinful. But at the same time, as we're pushing away from that ditch, it'd be easy to fall off the other side, which is, I think, the ditch of assimilation and adopting. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we can be so romanced with the city. We romanticize this idea of living in a city and the culture and all this stuff that we sometimes end up assimilating. We look just like it. We look just like it. There's not really anything differentiating the Christ follower from someone in the city that would not follow Jesus. We end up adopting the entire culture in total. And I think a lot of that is because we're afraid of the condemnation. Look, we were afraid of looking like we're being judgmental that we're so pushing back this way, we end up falling off in the other ditch. And I could tell you, like, I've been, I've been in both ditches. <laughs> I've spent time in both in my life at 42 years old. I was raised uh, as in, in a pastor's home um, and I kind of followed the Lord a lot as a young kid would uh, in that day. And yet there was a point when I got to college that I had run so far from God that I fell and kind of hit rock bottom just running from God. And yet in that moment, when I, when I hit rock bottom, I turned my life to the Lord, my, my natural instinct was to look at some of the relationships, some of the environments that I was in, and in a way to kind of push away and condemn it as though that was part of the reason that I had myself rebelled. I kind of was like, I withdrew from some of those same relationships that I'd had in college to that point. And yet, not even 10 years ago, I found myself wanting to reach people that would never set foot in a church. And so I tried to start, my wife and I and some other families tried to start making relationships with different people in our community that would probably never set foot in a church. We just wanted to show love to them. But what we found, I don't know that I would say we assimilated to the culture or to the, to the city, but what we did find is it was very difficult to then broach the subject of the gospel because we felt like we were gonna be seen as condemning or judgmental and, and that's what they expected from people that followed Jesus and, and we didn't wanna be like that but then we really never got around to sharing the gospel. And so I understand the lure of the ditches and yet as a church, we need to be on the pathway of loving our city. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I believe the Lord gives us some directions today and the way that he gave directions to his people in the Old Testament through the prophet Jeremiah. And when we look at the situation going on in Jeremiah today, I think we're gonna see God's call now to his people in regards to the city in which they live. And we're gonna see four things. We're gonna see that the church is called to be within the city, not withdrawn from it. The church is called to be for the city, not against it. Yet, the church is called to be distinct from the city, not identical to it. And lastly, we're going to see the church is called to be ambassadors in exile, okay? Within the city, not withdrawn. Oh, that's a lot of words. Within the city, not withdrawn. For the city, not against. Distinct from the city, not identical. And ambassadors to the city in exile, so as we do that, let's start with context of Jeremiah 29. Like we can read Jeremiah 29, it's Old Testament. I know a lot of you probably spent a lot of time in Jeremiah lately, but just in case you haven't, I'm gonna set the context for you. That was a joke, there's no laughter. Cheer up. 
All right. So here's the deal in Jeremiah 29. They are in exile. This letter is written by prophet Jeremiah to some Israelites that are in exile in Babylon. If you're like, where's this at in the context of the story of scripture, like we talked about last week, this is about 600-ish, give or take 20 or 30 years, BC, before Christ comes. So that's where we are. We're about 600 years before Jesus comes. If you're thinking like, okay, where, who would I know? Daniel, Shadrach, not the coffee, Meshach and Abednego are in Babylon. This is the time in history that we're talking. And the way exile typically worked is that when a king come, came in and conquered another kingdom, he would take the king and a lot of the cultural elites, a lot of the upper class, he would take them out, kind of disorienting them, taking them out of their, their country, out of what they know, and he would take them and replant them in his kingdom. And that's what we have. We have a group of Israelites that have been conquered and now taken out of Israel and put in Babylon. And so that's why I want you to see, I know we didn't read it, but I want you to see Jeremiah 29 verse one. This is the way this text is set up. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So notice who's in Babylon. Surviving elders of, this, of, of Israel, priests, prophets. These are the people that have been exiled that King Nebuchadnezzar took them out. Notice he carried them into exile. King Nebuchadnezzar took them out of Israel and replanted them in Babylon. And now you might think, was well, that a big deal? Yeah, it is. Babylon was a wicked and pagan nation. They worshiped multiple gods, had temples to foreign gods. They're about as pagan as it gets. And the way they came to power is actually by defeating those bad Assyrians that we learned about in the Jonah series. So they're just as bad. They are on par. So imagine if you are an Israelite who worships God and is taken from Babylon or from Israel, from Jerusalem and placed in this totally different and pagan place. You can imagine just like the angst that they would feel in this foreign land with these foreign gods. And so in light of this, we actually see prophets throughout Jeremiah that are teaching Israel that it's not gonna be long. It won't be long. You'll be there a couple years. God's gonna take you out. He'll, he'll save you. He'll deliver you. And it's that context with those false prophets saying those things not from God that Jeremiah pins this letter in Jeremiah 29 and he sends it to the exiles in Babylon. So let's look at the first three verses, the first part of that, verses four through six. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So what does God command Israel to do? To settle down. To settle down. 
put down roots, to build houses, to plant gardens, and to eat their produce. You know, gardens don't produce a vast produce immediately. This is a long-term thing. Plant gardens, eat their produce, enlarge your family there. And you might be sitting here and be like, <clears throat> that's great and all. I'm mean, glad he told Israel that 2,600 years ago. But what does that have to do with me? <clears throat> How does that have to do with our church? Well, if you read the New Testament, you'll actually find it's interesting that the New Testament writers see Christians as exiles. It's actually a pretty common idea. In fact, we are explicitly called exiles in 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2. And in James chapter 1, he refers to the, the diaspora, the, the dispersion of Christians as though we are in exile. It's an exilic term. And so throughout the New Testament, really, we are seen as Christians in some form or fashion as we are in exile right now. So what does the word exile, exile even mean? Well, it basically means a resident foreigner. Now, you might, you might have a translation that says resident alien. And ever since ET, I think that throws people off. So resident foreigner is what I'm saying. It's basically someone who's from somewhere else, but they are residing in a new place. It's what an exile is. And so Israel is in exile in Babylon because of their disobedience and their waywardness from God. God is disciplining them in the moment. But that's not necessarily the case for Christians. We are in exile, why? Because if you look at the story arc of scripture, which we talked about last week, Christians, if you look at the arc of scripture that began in a garden and is gonna end in the city of God in Revelation, we're kind of right here. We are between the garden and our forever home. We are a resident foreigner here. We are, in a way, in exile. And so why do I bring this up? Well, I bring this up to say that like, like Israel here, I think God has something to tell us about what it means to be an exile and how we should be relating to the city, the pagan, pagan city, the unbelieving world around us. And like Jesus' prayer in John 17, he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I just want you to protect them from the evil one. And the evil one is not somebody of a particular political class. It's not someone who might be um, dealing with substance abuse. It's not someone of a specific race or a specific religious creed. The evil one is the evil one. Other than that, we are not to be protected from the world. He leaves us in the world as exiles. So what is God telling Israel in Jeremiah 29 have to do with us? What, what, would he might, might, what might he say to us exiles in the church? We are to settle down into the city. We're to build houses, plant gardens, enlarge families. We are to be within the city. As God's reconciled children, we are called to press into the city. We're called to be within the city, not detached and withdrawn from it. Does that shock you? Does that shock you a little bit that God would call us to do that? And if it does, I would just ask you to consider why that might be. What might be kind of a framework in your mind that that would be a shocking call on us? Because I think if we consider what the scripture says, it's a clear call for us to be within the city. But what does that look like? Well, first, just individually, 
If you're a professional in the room, I think just having professionals who are shaped by the way of Jesus engaging in our city and its institutions is part of what this means. We need teachers in the schools, in public schools that are believers. We need artists, not just circumventing over here to do just art for Christian institutions, but artists that do their graphic design or paint or whatever you do in the city. Designers, financial sector needs to be filled with followers of Jesus. The legal sector needs to be filled with people who follow Jesus. Architects, builders, insurance agents, that's what I do. Lawmakers, people in our city government, we need people in the city following Jesus. If you're not a professional, if you're like, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom, that's a real professional job because that is hard. Not because I'm a mom, but because a few hours with me at home, it's like, okay, I need some help. So if you're a homemaker, if that's your, if that's your role, like making your house a, a, trans, a place where people feel like they can be transparent, both your own family and your neighbors. I mean, I know people in our own church who, have, who are homemakers and yet the, the neighbors around them feel safe to come in. And these neighbors may not be following Jesus and they find a safe place in this home. Wherever God is calling you right now, do your work and your service within the world as someone who's following Jesus. That's one way we can be within the city. What about corporately as a church? We need to be active in our community not just like opening our doors to say, come on in, you know, you're welcome. Yeah, that's good. We need to be hospitable, but we need to go out. We need to be in the city, being at work and doing things to bless our city. It's why we have our love local partners. And we need to reach all the indigenous in our city, all the indigenous, regardless of skin color, regardless of social class, regardless of religious creed, so my question right now is where are you within the city? What action might you and I need to take to get within the city? Do you need to serve on a board of some organization? Maybe you need to get involved and help coach your kids and their athletic teams. And if you're not the coaching type, maybe you need to be the one getting the, uh, getting the snack train ready to go. You need to be intentional about meeting your coworkers, which can be a lot more, more difficult nowadays with remote work, but to get to know them. And as a church, like corporately as a church, what, what can we do? I think just what if journey groups took once in a while to hang out somewhere in the city, hang out at the park together, serve at another organization together. There's lots of things we can do. Just ask the spirit to open your eyes to the opportunities at hand because to be a church who loves their city, we need to be a church within the city with deep roots, within the city. But not just that, but not only do we need to be a church with roots within the city, notice the posture we should actually have towards the city and her people. Jeremiah 29, seven. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. First, let's look at how God actually commands us to be for the city. We're to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Some of your translations might say welfare, 
to seek the welfare of the city. Now, what does that mean? Well, it actually comes from the Hebrew word shalom. You may have heard that word before. It is hard to actually nuance that Hebrew word into one English word because it could mean completeness, uh, wholeness, welfare, as we've already seen, peace, prosperity, but there's a whole lot of intricacies within that. And so this is not a call when we say peace and prosperity, this is not a call. Like when our minds in the West, we hear prosperity, we think material prosperity, we think, you know, like wealth. That, that's not, I don't think what's in, in view here. I don't think he's saying seek the wealth of Babylon. I think what he's saying is seek the flourishing of the city in every way. The flourishing of the city, the complete. We're just saying what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is talking about making something that's broken whole complete, flourishing. That's the call, but that's challenging. That's so challenging because in a city, you have brokenness that's deep and that's not in line with the flourishing that God has in mind. You have poverty, you have abuse, you have people who are hungry, you have people who just don't feel safe and they're all image bearers of God and we should care about that. And all the people in your city are gonna have, in our city are gonna have different views of how we got to this problem and therefore what the solution will be. We have different worldviews, like the way that we view the world, the lenses through which we see how problems came about, therefore how they can be solved are different. Have you ever had a conversation with someone in our city and basically like talking about a problem that you see or just in our world, talking about a problem that you see and the person that you're having a conversation with, you guys come to different, agree, a different take on how to fix the problem. That, that's called politics, first of all, that's what we see. Like we're looking at the, the problems in the world and we can't seem to agree on how to solve them. And that's because we come to it from different worldviews. And so as people who have a biblical worldview, we're gonna to come to it from the brokenness, from the fall of mankind. We're gonna see some spiritual realities behind that our eyes can't necessarily see that not everyone's gonna agree with that's not following Jesus. And so this is just one reason why, we, why the call to love the city can be so difficult and why churches and oftentimes individual Christians resort to forming their own associations, their, their own alliances, they, they kind of push away and they, 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 they kind of push away from the culture in that way. So how on earth are we to seek the flourishing, the shalom of our city without people feeling like we're against them instead of for them? Well, one way is to love them where they're at. To love them where they're at. I mean, this is what Jesus did when he found you, right? He loved me where I was. I was seven. I repented of things like stealing toys from friends at school, being mean to my little sister, disobeying my parents. And I'm not saying those are menial, small sins. I'm just saying the consequences of those at seven years old are not as vast as some of the others here may be. Where did he find you when Jesus found you? Were you nice and clean and shiny? And was he just like, man, I'd love to have you on my team? because you're so awesome? Or did he find you struggling? How did he find you? Struggling with substance abuse? Struggling with lust? Or maybe did he find you in an affair? Did he find you possibly abusive or angry? 
Or before we think like really picking on the bad people, did he find you prideful? Did he find you self-righteous? How did he find you? Because the key is that when Jesus found us, we all had hearts that were wayward from him. We were wandering away from God, our maker, and he saved us to the uttermost as we come to him and he saw us and loved us where we were. He changes us to be sure. He changes us, but he loves the present you, not the future transformed you that you hope to be. He loves you now where you are. And that's what we need to do. We love the people in our city where they're at. But the other way God instructs us to seek the shalom is to pray to him for it, to pray for our city and our people. He says, pray to the Lord for the city. Pray to the Lord for it. And who do you and I typically pray for? People we love. People we love, right? But have you ever tried to pray for someone you didn't really love? That's fun. That's challenging. You ever thought to yourself, like, I don't really like them? I'm gonna pray for them. If you have, what you'll notice most of the time is that slowly but surely, God actually changes your heart as you pray for them. You feel bitter towards somebody? Pray for them. You've been hurt by somebody? Pray for them. You feel like someone is maybe a threat to your security? I'm not saying to be unwise, but to pray for them. Pray for them and just see what the Lord does to your heart. So we're to be a people for the city by seeking its flourishing in any way possible without jeopardizing our conviction. And we pray to the Lord on behalf of the city for him to cause a flourishing within the city. We wanna work at the flourishing of the city, but we wanna ask him to intervene and to do it, for him to come in and make our city flourish, for his will to be done in Jonesboro as it is in heaven. That's what we should be seeking. That's what we should be praying. And why is that? Because he sent us here. He sent us here. If you notice in chapter 29, verse one, Jeremiah says that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, took the Israelites into exile. But then if you look in verse four and verse seven, as though he doesn't want us to miss it, God says that he sent them into exile. So the king takes them, but God sent them. How does that work? I don't fully know how that works. Sorry to burst your bubble if you're like, oh, he's gonna give me the, no, I don't know. We gotta be okay with a little bit of the mystery there. But what we do know is that God is sovereign over the exile of his people. He allowed them to be exiled to Babylon for their discipline and their correction for like running from him. But he also sent them there for the sake of Babylon. He was calling them to put down roots and to be a blessing to this pagan nation, which is what Israel was called to be from the beginning, a light to the nations. And God would eventually judge Babylon for their wickedness and their cruelty. But for now, he's calling his people to be a light and Babylon, so that all, the Israelite and the Babylonian may flourish underneath God's ways and loving rule. You see, we are for the city because God sent us 
to the city. We're for the city because God sent us to this city. Do you know that in Acts 17, Paul at the Areopagus talking to the philosophers in Greece says that humanity, human beings were born and live when they live in history and where they live by the sovereignty of God. So what he says, so that, so that you may reach out and find God, so that you may know him. So why do you think the Lord has you in Jonesboro, Arkansas in 2022? Why are you here? Why am I here? Why are we here as a church? Well, one clear reason from today's text is to be a blessing to our city through loving service to the city towards the flourishing of Jonesboro. And as long as we're here, this is our call, not to withdraw, not to be against, but to seek the welfare, the peace and prosperity of our city and to pray to the Lord for it. Are you doing that? Or are we turning a blind eye to areas in our city in need? Are we ignoring those who are far from God because we're nervous they might stain our righteousness? Man, thank God he didn't do that to me. And he didn't do it to you. Let us be a church within our city that is for the flourishing of our city in the ways of Jesus. And as we wrap up, I want you to see one more thing that's clear in Jeremiah 29. While they may be there for a while in Babylon, they're not there forever. Notice what he says starting in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. How about Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile." In essence, God tells them that they will return home to Jerusalem, but not for 70 years. So the Lord says, build houses, plant gardens, seek the welfare of the city, enlarge, do not decrease, and pray for the flourishing of Babylon because you will reside there as exiles, how long? For a lifetime, but not forever. For a lifetime, but not forever. And God will honor his call and his promises to Israel. He will hear their prayers when they seek him. They will find him when they seek him with all their heart and he will deliver them. They will come home to Jerusalem again. This is not the end. They should have hope, but until then, they are to be about his kingdom work where he has them as exiles, his resident foreigners in Babylon. And we have the same call on our lives. I mean, we, we went through Philippians back in the spring and early summer. In Philippians 3.20, Paul says, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. Our citizenship's in heaven. You see, God saves us. He puts us in his kingdom. He fills us with his spirit. And then he leaves us in the world for how long? For a lifetime, but not forever. 
He will bring us to be with him in the end. We do have a future. We do have a hope. But until then, we are to be about his kingdom where he has us in history, in the world. We are to play our part in the story. And we are part of his kingdom with this future hope of the city of God where every tear will be wiped away for all time. Which means that if that's our destination, and not only that, that's where our citizenship lies now, Despite the fact that we have roots in our city and we are for our city, we don't look like the city. Instead, we're a city within the city. We're in the, Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus Christ within another kingdom. There's an overlap. This is why Jesus says in a parable, this is a one-verse parable of Matthew 13. Listen to this parable. He says, he says, he told them still another parable the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Do you see that? The kingdom of heaven is not like yeast that's over here in a jar with the dough over here. No, there's a distinct difference between the yeast and the dough, yet the yeast works through the dough from within. Jesus says we need to get mixed up in the dough and the influence of the kingdom will spread throughout from within. But how does that work? Well, we live in the city. We rub our shoulders with those who don't follow Jesus and are for them in all the ways that we can be, but live lives distinct from them, not because we're better people, but because we serve a better kingdom that we are being transformed into the image of God. But how does living, how, how would me and you, living a distinct life from the city in some ways, how's that gonna spread the kingdom of God like yeast through dough? What happens when we fail? What happens when we do look more like the city? Well, we're reminded of what ushered us into the new city to begin with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. We don't just have a better kingdom, we have a better king. We have a gracious king who has a message of reconciliation to our city. Because in all of Jonesboro's brokenness, in the echoes of the fallenness of humanity that we see here, and in all of Jonesboro's beauty, it, the echoes of our all bearing the image of God, there's a message that we can be reconciled to the God in whose image we've been made. And that message is the gospel. And for us who've been reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ, more than living distinct lives, more than being within the city, and more than being for the city, the gospel is the yeast that leavens the whole dough. It's the message of reconciliation with God. And you know what this does, brothers and sisters? This makes us ambassadors. Ambassadors. Do you know what an ambassador is? It's someone that represents one nation or one kingdom to another. They, they are part of one kingdom, but they're an ambassador for that kingdom to another. And so we as Christians live in one kingdom. We live in the world, but yet we represent the kingdom that sent us into the world. And there's a shadow of this in Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. There's a shadow of this ambassador-like call. Build houses, plant gardens, settle down in this other kingdom. 
Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. You're in Babylon because I want you to be my ambassadors. This is not verbatim. That's kind of a shadow that we see. And he might not use that term, but they are in another nation representing the God and the nation in which they came from. They are resident foreigners. They are ambassadors. But do you know that in the New Testament, we are actually called verbatim to be ambassadors. Do you know that? If you have a Bible, flip over quickly and it'll be on the screen if you don't to 2 Corinthians 5. This is what Paul says about us as we, as we close here. I want you just to see this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's wild. The new creation has come. The old is gone. Some of your translations might say the old has passed away. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And what is that? It says this, that verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, in Jesus, we become a new creation in the midst of the old one. We're reconciled to God among people who are not and need to be. In Jesus, our sins are not counted against us. Could there be better news than that? Our sins are not counted against us. And in Jesus, we're given a ministry, the ministry and message of reconciliation. We are now in Jesus, Christ's ambassadors, imploring people to be reconciled to God. And how on earth can we be reconciled to God? Verse 21, God made him, that's Jesus Christ. God made Jesus who had no sin, perfect righteousness, perfect holiness, perfect in every way. He made Jesus to be sin for us on the cross. Why? Why would he do that? So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And then left here for a lifetime to be his ambassadors so that others may know his love for our city. And the only way we become a church who loves our city is to be captivated by that message of the gospel. It's the only way, it's the only way we can avoid the ditches is to be captivated by the gospel, the gospel that says that they are more loved than they ever dared dream and yet they're more, they're more hopeless than they ever imagined. That in their hopelessness, God loves them. That God wants to tell them in Jesus, I will not count your sins against you. We've gotta be captivated by the gospel that's transformed us. The gospel that transforms us into a new creation 
in the midst of the old one. The gospel that that has brought us into the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of this world. The gospel that has made you and I in this room who are believers in Jesus Christ a city within our city. And we've been given the spirit of God to equip us for all these works. You remember last week, Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be empowered by my spirit to the ends of the earth. We've been given the power to do this. So the question is, what is stopping us? What's stopping us? Let's love our city. Let's walk the pathway of loving our city for the glory of God and the flourishing of Jonesboro for the time that he sees fit to have us here. So as we close the call to action, if you're not a believer in Jesus here today, it's pretty simple. I just read it. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That you are not, if you are not following Jesus, you are not reconciled to God. But he wants you to be, and he's made a way in Jesus Christ for that to be the case. There's a better kingdom that you can live in with a gracious king. Do you see him? I mean, what a gracious king to save us. And then he doesn't take us out. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, he leaves us here so that we can share the good news with you. He's a good king. Will you respond to him today? And if you're here today and you'd say you are a disciple of Jesus, then I've got three things I just wanna say to you. First, I just wanna say, I want you to think about your own heart. Which error are you most likely to fall into? Withdraw from the city or be indistinct from it, to look just like it. Which of those ditches do you find yourself typically leaning over or completely in? And I just ask that you think through that today, this morning, this week, and ongoing. If we're gonna be people shaped by the pathway of loving our city, we've gotta avoid the ditches. So which are you more prone to? The second thing I just throw out is, I I wanna encourage you to consider yourself a spirit-empowered ambassador to the city. I, I, I feel like I talk about this every week because I struggle with myself. There is an enemy who's telling you lies and he will tell you, you don't have the power to do this. You're ill-equipped. You yourself are not righteous. And he's right. <laughs> but we've been given the spirit. We in and of ourselves are not powerful enough. We in and of ourselves are not fully righteous. But with the righteousness of God that we've become, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and empowered by the spirit, consider yourself, you are a spirit-empowered ambassador for Jesus Christ to our city. And then the third thing as a church, I just would ask, how committed are we to seek and pray for our city? Seek the welfare for our city, to pray for it, and to pray for her people. So while the time of prayer, as we say each week, you can come down here and pray. You don't have to. There's nothing more so special about that, but it is kind of an act of surrender in a way. You can pray in your seat. If you do come down, you can pray by yourself or there will be some people from our prayer team down here that would love to encourage you and pray with you. But let's go to the Lord now in prayer and ask him to work on our hearts.
Our Father, we come before you this morning just as uh, your people, as your children, and as people who at one point you saw us and you sought us where we were and you've changed us. And sometimes the change in our hearts is not as quick as we want to see. But you are changing us. And so I'm just humbled, Lord, by your mercy that you would see us where we are, you'd love us where we are, that you would call us into light. And I pray that you'd make us a church that does that that sees the people in our city who are far from you and that we love them where they are, but that we call them into light and that you would transform our city through your church, not just our church, your church in this city. All churches that, that come to you as Lord and Savior, would you transform our city? There's way too many churches here for us to have as much darkness in our city as we do. And that's on us, Lord. Would you empower us? Would you help us to see that? Make us your agents and ministers of reconciliation for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.